Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Stacy, Stacy's with me. John is here to take your phone calls. We're going to be here the next 90 minutes. Again, continuing our journey through the scriptures, the Bible live. That's the theme of, um, well, that's the purpose of what we do here is to get through the Bible every year, uh, give you the opportunity to journey through the entire Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation in the New Testament uh, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible. Now, you can go with us on this journey by joining us on our website, thebiblelive.com. Like Saturday Night Live, we have The Bible Live. Um, my wife gave the top, the title of our program years ago. It started off being um, The Josiah Project. Did you know that, Stace? Mm-hmm. I think okay. I it went early that. on. Uh, when the program was first birthed back in uh, 2001, the idea was that, you know, we wanted to highlight the scriptures, the Bible. Remember, young King Josiah uh, was the one who discovered the books of the um, of the uh, law, the, the Torah, back in during his reign. And he had it read to him and it brought about an experience of repentance and uh, bowing to the Lord, wanting to restore and recover uh, that that relationship with God. And then he had the scriptures read to the people. And uh, young King Josiah did. And th- it sparked a great revival in the land in, the, in that particular time of their uh, national experience. And, and so I always thought that the, the Bible could help spring and bring about that that revival that so many of us have been praying for in America all these years, wanting God to move across our land and and to bring about a spiritual renewal and a an awakening across America, as He has done uh, through the two uh, well, almost three centuries of our uh, history here on this continent. There have been times of great spiritual renewal and revival, and the Scripture has. Prayer and the scriptures have placed uh, played a role in all of those times of renewal and revival. And so uh, we started the program with the idea of helping to spark spiritual revival by uh, helping um, helping our people become more familiar with, again, with the words of this book, the Bible, as so many people consider and understand to be the very word of God. So that's uh, that's what we do here. If you want to join us, go to thebiblelive.com, and you'll find our reading schedule. We read through the entire Bible itself every year. And we started out in November uh, in the chapter 1 of Genesis, November, and now we're in December. We're, pretty, we're just uh, finishing up the book of Exodus 
this last week, we finished up the book of Exodus and uh, started into the first chapters, the opening chapters of the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We just kind of barely got into the book of Leviticus, but we, we got there. So that's where we are. And then here on Sunday evenings, like I said, you can go to our website, you can log in there, go to our podcast, and you'll notice all of the readings starting in November. I think it was, seems like to me it was November the 9th. It was when we our first week started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But you can go back to all of those readings, and you can see Genesis 1 through 4, Genesis 5 through uh, 10, and so on like that. And so we have made our way now Coming uh, just this past week, we finished the book of Exodus. So uh, you can join us as we read through the scriptures together. Uh, There's uh, a reading plan there. We have a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weekday, Monday through Friday. So if you go to the website there, or you can go on your computer, your smartphone, whatever instrument you use uh, online, and you can hear the Bible being read a clear, flawless reading with the New Living Translation uh, uh, each week. Now, what we do on Sunday night, we have a chance to come together and we talk about those chapters. We kind of, uh, what I'm trying to do is help you uh, as a listener, as someone who wants to know the Bible and hear the Bible and know what its message is. I'm trying to give you a, a chance to kind of be able to think through the Bible and and kind of, think through the different sections. We could never cover every tiny detail, every verse, uh, uh, although we read every verse. You can do that. But we try to, at least at this stage, help you to think through, uh, for example, in the book of creation and the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Stacy, maybe I could give you a chance to do this. Walk. Let's walk through it together. We have first the creation, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have uh, the relationship with God. God's plan is revealed that he is through. He has created the human race so that he can call out of the human race a people for himself. And then so there we, we see the, the creation of man. We see the fall of man into sin, the, uh, what is called the, the fall, uh, where Adam and Eve disobey God. And through then sin enters into the human race, uh, this tendency that we all have to selfishness and uh, that comes to be a reality in the human race. And then you see Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, their children, and then Seth is born, and we see them begin to multiply. They are taken out of the Garden of Eden. They begin to multiply, and the human race begins to grow and expand uh, through chapter, what chapter is it? Chapter 6, I guess, mm-hmm. where we see the human race is, uh, you know, they're, many hundreds of thousands it's a it's become a great race of people but uh in the great majority the huge majority of mankind has drifted into sin idolatry wickedness perversions of all kinds and so only noah we are introduced into noah who becomes uh, uh a prophet he preaches to the people to repent and prepares them for a little over a hundred years for a time of judgment. God reveals that He's going to judge the human race and destroy uh, the wickedness of the race. And so Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people, are preserved. Uh, and God sends a great flood in chapter seven of Genesis, 
the human race is destroyed and the animals are preserved uh, there on the ark, what is called the ark, Noah and his family. And so we have the judgment of God upon the sin of mankind. And then they come out of the ark. And of course, that ark, we talk all along about these pictures of God and God's redemptive plan. And the ark itself becomes a picture of redemption that he God preserves uh, Noah. And then they come out, uh, the rainbow appears, of course, and then they begin again to multiply and to spread out over the earth as God commanded them to do. And and so the human race is restored again through Noah and his family. Uh, let me see what comes next, Stacy. We move to chapter 11. Another chapters go by and the human race again has expanded and grown uh, to many thousands and thousands of people. We don't know exactly uh, the, the population. I think you one time you did a little bit of a study on the Population, the numbers of people. I don't know if it was at that point. But, but this yeah. wasn't a matter of two weeks later there were a million people. <laughs> it was right. there, there were generations past and generations. And then uh, we come to chapter 11 where the Tower of Babel, the next major event in the book of Genesis. And that is a time when God confuses the languages of the human race so that they would spread out and diversify. Uh, once, because once the sin nature was prominent in the human race, then diversity was needed to help mitigate the effects of the sin nature and the impulse, uh, this irrevocable, irresistible tendency to selfishness and sin. And so uh, diversity came about through God confusing the languages there at the Tower of Babel. And then after chapter 11, we move to chapter 12, where God begins to work with an individual, uh, not just an individual, actually a married couple. He picks uh, Abram and Sarai. We know them later as Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, he picks. We begin to follow the experience of this couple who are, are children of Terah, and they, are, they worship God. They follow after God, and God leads... Uh, Terah and his family, he leads Abraham and Sarah. He leads them to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans where they lived, and they went to a place called Haran, called Haran up off the Tigris River, up north of Israel as we know it now, off, over the, the uh, Fertile Crescent, it's called, over the top. Uh, and then at Haran, they established themselves, and then God led Abraham and Sarah further south, into what is called uh, Canaan, and that later became the land of Israel. And God promised Abraham and Sarah, uh, he promised Abraham that he was going to give that land to them. And in late that chapter 13 and in chapter 15, he makes a covenant of worship and relationship with Abraham that he is going to make him into a great nation and preserve them as a people group and a nation uh, in that land of Canaan. Uh, we would know it later as Israel, uh, and but that's not going to happen, he says, for 400 years because first uh, God is going to take them down into a foreign land. We now later know that that was Egypt, and they would be in, the, in that land for 430 years, and then God would bring them back. He would judge the Canaanite people because their sin would be ripe for judgment, and he would use the people of Israel as an instrument of judgment on them to to return them and restore to them the land of, of Canaan, which would become Israel. So they went down. Remember, Abraham then had Isaac, 
We already have read through about Isaac and his little wife, Rebecca. Uh, you remember that uh, the servant um, went down and went back up to Haran and found a wife for Isaac, um, the servant named Eliezer, who became a picture of the Holy Spirit, who goes out to find a bride for the son of the father, you know the picture. That's how the Holy Spirit and now is bringing the finding the bride of Christ, the church. It's the Holy Spirit who goes, and Jesus Himself tells us this in John chapter three of the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is the one, the agent of the new birth. He draws us and shows us our need for a Savior and draws us to the the Redeemer to Jesus himself, to be born again and born into the kingdom of God. So uh, Eliezer became a picture of the Holy Spirit. He finds a bride for Isaac, uh, brings back. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob becomes uh, the son of promise. He values the things of God, and Esau does not. And so Jacob becomes the titular head of the family, having uh, earning the birthright trading the, uh, a bowl of porridge to his brother Esau for the birthright, showing how much he valued and how much his brother did not value the things of God, the covenant relationship with God. And then also uh, he, uh, by trickery, deceived his father to get the blessing uh, that would come upon the older son as well, the blessing that would pass the this covenant relationship to him. So then he flees from uh, Esau, he goes back up north. Jacob does. Jacob ha- is a man of interesting guy. We we he values the things of God, and yet he does not have full blown confidence and faith in God, and so he has to grow through a, a series of sometimes very difficult uh, life experiences. He goes and works for his uncle Laban up in Haran. He is deceived. He works for seven years to gain his. His, the love of his life, Rachel. But when he has finished his seven years, he is given the other sister named Leah. And so he has to work another seven years for Rachel. And so then he has two wives, Rachel and Leah, and each of them have two uh, servant women or, or concubines, I guess they're called. And so Jacob comes out of this with essentially four wives, two wives and two concubines. And he has 12 sons, only two of them, um, Joseph and uh, Benjamin, being from his the one uh, from Rachel, and so they finally come down from Haran. They come back to the Promised Land, back to Canaan, and he is reinstated, re- reconciled to his brother Esau. They have a peaceful reunion, and then he takes up residence there in in uh, Canaan. Now, I I know I've skipped some details, but I just want you to be able to think through these big events from Genesis through Exodus. And so now what has happened, remember his son Joseph was sold uh, down into slavery uh, to Potiphar, and then he tells, he, he interprets some dreams, remember, and he becomes the second in command over all of Egypt. And then Joseph is used as an instrument by the Lord to preserve and save the lives of uh, the people, the children of Israel. Uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So they become the children of Israel. And uh, they go back down to escape a famine in the land. They go down into Egypt. And by that time, Joseph has become second in command over all of Egypt. 
and he recognizes them and they go through this tremendous drama of uh, reconciliation as a family. He brings the whole family, all 72 members of the family, down into Egypt as honored guests of Egypt. And they're given the land of Goshen to uh, guard their sheep and keep their flocks. And uh, so they're there for 400, a little over 400 years, and they become a people in, of servanthood. They're, they're slaves down in the land of Egypt uh, after those 400 years. Now, by that time, there are about 2 million of them or more. And that's, then who comes along, Stacy? Pick it up from there, Moses. would you? <laughs> come ahead, go ahead and pick it up from there. Who was Moses? How did he come about? You could do it. I know you can. I'm, people are tired of hearing my voice. I think I'm tired of hearing my own voice. Pick up with Moses, would you? Can, oh, well, yeah, we know the story of Moses. We did that. We come and we talked about this last week. Uh-huh. Um, but Moses is um, put in a basket. Um, Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, right, finds him. And the daughter of the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Brings him and and um, takes compassion on him. Pharaoh at that point had wanted all of the Hebrew babies, the male, the boys, killed, and said so that's why Moses was put in the basket in the first place, and that might be especially why um, his uh, daughter took compassion. But she did and found him and raised him as her own. By the way, that was Miriam. Uh, Miriam. Miriam, his sister, and she becomes prominent later mm-hmm. because she plays a role as well mm-hmm. in the leadership of the people mm-hmm. of Israel when they come out of Egypt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, we'll, and I think we, we probably, we've seen the 10 commandments or the Prince of Egypt. It's, <laughs> it was probably one of the most well-known, um, just stories in scripture. And, um, I guess probably the, the themes of, especially, I mean, just growing up as sort of an exile plucked out from his, people from a slave an enslaved people plucked out from that and raised in a palace and raised in 40 years um, and receiving great education um but had a heart still evidently for his people not even knowing at that point yet that it was his people he ends up um taking the side of one of the slave drivers um, ends up killing a Hebrew slave and Moses uh, lashes out and he ends up killing that uh, an Egyptian and he is overcome with what he's done. So he flees, he leaves. Now, evidently, um, the people while they're in Egypt, these 400 years, I mean, this is a lot of generations going, people born and dying and so mm-hmm. on, 400 years, That's a long. that's a long time. But they still evidently sustained at least some basic knowledge mm-hmm. of their unique of their uniqueness as a people that they still they still retain at least some understanding of mm-hmm. their the twelve tribes of israel they they still identify with their Reuben and Gad mm-hmm. and Asher and the twelve sons of Jacob. Uh, or Israel, and they still retain at least some understanding and knowledge of the, of their unique identity, apart identity from as Egyptian. a people of right. Jehovah. That mm-hmm. they're a, they they still that is interesting. They don't get consumed for sure by the Egyptian culture, the uh-huh. Egyptian gods. They have their, and I guess part of that is might be because they will. I mean, 
Well, because they were enslaved by the Egyptian. Right. Um, so, so part of their rebellion would be, I'm going to hang on to this no matter what. I am yeah. this. I'm um, not going to worship that frog god. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I remember you told us last week that That's right. uh, Moses spent 40 years in the palaces of Egypt. And then he spent 40 years tending sheep out in the wilderness of Sinai. Mm-hmm. Uh, he married, uh, he met his it was going to become his father-in-law, Jethro, or Ruel, and he married Zipporah, his daughter. He had children, mm-hmm. and he's a shepherd out mm-hmm. tending sheep in the in the desert of Sinai wilderness. And then he has that famous encounter, encounter with God at the burning bush. Mm-hmm. It's it's burning. It's a flame, a fire, but it does not is not consumed. Mm-hmm. And God at that point calls him to go back into Egypt and to demand of the Pharaoh that he set the people of Israel free. And uh, and so he does that. And, and I think last week we talked through, um, tell us, the remind plagues. us again about those plagues and the gods right. and so on. Well, the 10 plagues and, uh, and Egypt was full of different gods. Ra was one of the most famous, the sun god. Mm -hmm. And then Pharaoh himself was uh, considered Ra, actually Ra's son, Mm -hmm. and a god himself. And one of the, and so each of the plagues has um, sort of a corresponding Egyptian god that that is uh, meant to show authority and power over that Egyptian God. And so one of those was um, the frogs that, uh, mm-hmm. overcome, you know, come over the earth. And that shows um, there was a uh, lice was a and lie. flies mm-hmm. and I, darkness I, I, mm-hmm. and um yeah, and disease over the the livestock, but um, but yes, and so the final uh, um, and we had made it through to chapter twenty six, and so you know we all know Pharaoh does let him go, let them go. This is after the introduction. So the first Passover happens as a result of that was the final, the tenth plague, mm-hmm. um, and so that that's was, right. The Passover mm-hmm. they were to. Eat, they were to apply the blood to their oh, doors mm-hmm. uh, frame, uh, mm-hmm. top and the sides, mm-hmm. uh, and the angel of death would pass over. That's where we got the idea of the Passover. Mm-hmm. But they were to have that meal with their boots on and with their traveling shoes mm-hmm. and their cloak on because God was going to take them out of the land. Yeah. And they did. They were yeah. released. Uh, they escaped. And then Pharaoh changed his mind. Uh, and sent his armies after them. And then we have the crossing of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. uh, the Reed Sea, Red Sea. Uh, we know it as the Red Sea, uh, where God divided the waters and they walked across on dry land. Now they take this two-month journey to the mountain of God. Uh, I believe this mountain was also called Horeb. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a mount is a is a uh, word for sword. Mount Horeb uh, uh, has two sides, two sharp edges, two sided sword. But it's we know it is Mount Sinai, and that is where God meets them. He speaks. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, and God meets him and gives to them the Ten Commandments in chapter twenty. Uh, these gives them these. Ten Commandments. Now, what's going to happen in chapter 20 uh, of Exodus? From there forward, we see a, a process. Essentially, it's called nation building. 
God is going to be building and restoring and giving them the building blocks to become a uh, a nation distinguished by their covenant relationship with God, a nation distinguished by their by the God that they worship, and they are given these laws that are there to preserve them in that relationship with God, to help them maintain, sustain their relationship with God, the people with God, and then also to restain, um, sur- uh, provide them with, to survive and preserve them as a people so that they could become a, a, a society that lasts, that endures. Remember, the sin nature is is, a, is loose in the world and even among them, and so they needed laws and guidance to how to sustain that relationship with their God. And it was built upon the concept of forgiveness. Remember, they uh, they had a gold calf in chapter 32. Uh, that When Moses was up on the mountain, they grew impatient, and they, bu- they built a gold calf, an idol. And um, so the first set of the Ten Commandments was destroyed. And uh, Moses came back down, but then he didn't destroy them, but they experienced forgiveness. There was a second a second set of the law was given to them, and forgiveness was made possible, and they could continue forward. That's one of the—I think we ended with that last week. The concept of forgiveness was well, the most radical difference that God, the God that they served— was a God who would forgive and that they could be forgiven and restored in their relationship and their walk with God. We'll pick up there now as we move on now into the chapters 26 and so on and talk about this process of nation building, what God is going to do, what he's going to teach them and guide them to become a preserved and blessed people group, a nation. And that should interest us today as well, because these same principles that we discover here are going to be principles that we could apply to our own national life, uh, to our own communities here in the 21st century. We'll come back with more from the Bible Live right after that. We'll go into our chapters for this evening, which is the building of the tabernacle and and, uh, the priesthood is established. We'll talk about some very interesting things and have some questions for you as well. Don't go away. The Bible Live will be right back. I'm wondering who's singing that. The Beach Boys. I thought that was one of those uh, earlier groups. This is the Bible Live. Listening to the Beach Boys sing Christmas song is kind of interesting. <laughs> a star of wonder, star of light. Uh, we are back. We're talking about our kind of bringing ourselves up to speed of where we are in our uh, reading of the books of Genesis and Exodus. 
And we'll go right on. We read the first chapter of Leviticus this last week, but we probably won't get into uh, talking much about the book of Leviticus. We'll probably introduce it a little bit tonight. But uh, we've kind of brought up to speed. We're introducing now the time of Moses and him bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Stacy asked a very interesting question, I think a good observation that she made. During the break here, we were talking about the idea that uh, I, I don't know if any of you noticed this as well. As you go through the Bible, all of a sudden, the word and the theme of holiness has become uh, predominant. All of a sudden, uh, remember, Moses is standing at this burning bush and God says, take off your shoes for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And we have this general idea that uh, holiness, God's commands are given to uh, even you shall be holy as even I, the Lord, your God, am holy and set apart. The whole idea of holiness first means unique, set apart from all others. And, of course, God is holy and that there's no other like our God. And it also has that element of purity, of moral uh, uh, purity, of integrity. God is holy and righteous and good. And, of course, part of the idea of holiness is that we, too, as the people of God, will God, through his redemptive plan and work in our lives and through his God, following his commands, that we, too, will become holy, set apart as a people uh, and that we would be unique. Now, we're, part of what we're going to see, I, I think what triggered the thought in me, Stacey, is when you said that is when we look at the Ten Commandments given to Moses and then passed on to the people of Israel in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. And then after that, chapter 21, 22, 23, um, uh, up until the building of the tabernacle, we have, uh, there is, um, Moses gives further uh, further instructions to the people. In other words, the Ten Commandments were not the sum total of their constitution. Uh, you might liken the Ten Commandments to their national constitution. It was their, it was an explanation and the, the uh, putting in writing uh, uh, for clarity the principles that were going to guide them as a people, much as we have the American constitution. Uh, this was somewhat the guiding principles that would lead them. And you have the ten major uh, laws that God gave in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But then Moses goes on to build upon those laws, those ten laws, and give a further understanding, you know, a more detailed understanding of what these laws meant in everyday life, in everyday relationships with your family, with your neighbors, with your community, and so on. So chapters 20 through 22, 23, uh, there are further laws are given. But there is one thing I, I want to point out, uh, chapter 23, verse 19, and there's one other place I know of, I think in Exodus and later on in the book of Deuteronomy and so on, Moses is going along here and he's telling them, uh, for example, I'm just looking at a sample page, take no bribes for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. You must not oppress foreigners. 
Uh, you know what it's like to be a foreigner, for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Plant and harvest your crops for six years, but let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. So these these rules, these laws, these principles that are being laid out now, they're an expansion of the Ten Commandments. And um, let me see. I don't know where I was headed with that, actually, now. Uh, <laughs> but they, they give them days of festivals, you know, the the festival of harvest time and so on. All of these were giving them... Uh, the 631, I believe it was, rules that are laid out for them in the Torah uh, based on the Ten Commandments. And so uh, they are gi- being given, these are the, the kind of co- their constitution that we're going to help them be identified as a people group. For one, it would guard them and protect them in their relationship to God and to continue to be rightly related to their to their god and to uh live righteous lives as a as a community as a society uh so as not to bring about judgment upon them and remember sin destroys and and so this was also a preservative for them as a nation uh not only their relationship with god but these would give them a stable uh healthy society a relationship that in a society, a nation that could that could stand the test of time, uh, because remember God. I told you this was about nation building, and this people. Remember God has already promised that it's through this people group, and I'm not talking about genetics or um, we're not talking about ethnicity here in the sense of of uh, bloodlines and that. We're talking about people who worship God. The principle that guided the idea of becoming a part of Israel was not by genetics, although at times it seemed like the people of Israel reduced it to that and became ethnocentric, but it really was a definition of the of people who, the God that they followed and worshipped. And that's why we see all through the history of Israel, there are many people who are not uh descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the flesh, but they become descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and spiritually in that they they embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God, the creator. And so that becomes uh, the part of the laws of God is to sustain them in that relationship with him and to sustain them as a people so that the they can continue to give witness to, they can continue to be an instrument of revelation for the people groups and the empires, the, na- the nations that would rise up around them. So one of the purposes of Israel was to uh, keep alive and fresh and clear a vision of the true and living God. Uh, and, and we see that reflected in the Ten Commandments and in all the different commandments given to them Uh to sustain them in their relationship, to enable them to continually reflect the glory of the true and living God. And then finally, to bring through their people group, through them as a nation, this Redeemer, this Savior that was going to come and by his substitutionary atonement, by his uh, doing what Adam was unable to do in in the Garden of Eden, uh, this Redeemer, this Savior, this Messiah would be one who would keep all the laws of God, and then he who knew no sin would become sin on our behalf. Uh, by his substitutionary atonement, then, he would purchase the redemption 
and the renewal of a new race, the race of the redeemed. We will be born again spiritually into the kingdom of God through the work of the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, whose birth we will celebrate here in just about mm-hmm. two, three weeks, uh, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, I think uh, you centuries were, later. Yeah, I think what you were going to talk about was, um, so there were the different, the laws, the moral law, the ceremonial, and maybe the judicial would be the, yeah. uh, so the moral law, ceremonial, and judicial kind of is a distinction. The moral law would be those that reflect kind of God's right, user sure. manual yeah. for humanity. Those are, those are, those are, there's, there's no, um, compromise with those. Those are the Ten Commandments. Those are nature's law, yes. that is. Uh, but then there is the ceremonial and the judicial. And I'm kind of going, you, you've That's also good. said it. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Right. And, and I we think. Moral laws, and then we have the dietary and uh, health. Uh, health laws that were, and some of those were dietary for the purpose, you know, a lot of the dietary laws I've heard that uh, none of these diseases, I remember there's a book written that many people have tried to explain the dietary laws on the basis of what's good for you and what's not good for you. And so, and, and I assume that there's some truth to that. Perhaps eating pork in that era was dangerous. And, and, and I, I, I was a future farmer of America oh, when I was a kid. So we studied the, the different meats, pork and beef and all that sort of thing. And it was true that there were, I forget, some kind of some kind of a characteristic of pork was that it was not as pure and as healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I think to some extent that's been solved now. But, but the idea is that the dietary laws were there not only for health and, and for protection, but also, in some ways, to set them apart. Mm-hmm. In other words, maybe it doesn't really need an explanation. You know, it's not for your health. This is just going to be a characteristic that is going to distinguish you as a people. So this is going to be something that you own as a distinguishing mm-hmm. factor of your culture, of your society. Because of your faithfulness and your relationship to, to God, you're going to right, but it was not necessarily immoral. It was just a yeah, set right. Right, it was, and, a, right. It was a characteristic which that would set right, apart. which yeah. leads, I think, into what you were going to talk about in terms of Exodus and the Deuteronomy passage with Moses and how he says the final oh, yeah. his idiom. Yeah. talk so about that because that's funny. That's the, interesting. We have the laws of worship. We have the dietary, and then we have uh, the ritual. The mm-hmm. ri- ri- ritual laws of of. Purity, mm-hmm. what's purity? We see that somewhat in the dietary laws, but right. also there were other practices that were considered to be to make one um, impure. And it doesn't mean they were sinful or just wrong necessarily. It just means that in order to come into God's presence and to worship right. with the congregation, th- there were certain characteristics that that out it's of almost, regard, yeah. out of respect. Yes, that we, it's almost an acknowledgement yeah. um, that it. it Okay, it's an acknowledgement. No, can, yeah. can you um, talk a bit, then uh, mention Moses's uh, oh, yeah. famous? <laughs> well, I was going to mention this in chapter 23, verse 19. Moses is rolling along here. He's waxing eloquent. He's telling him about all these laws and so on and celebrate the feast of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season and so on. You must not offer the blood of my sacrificial offerings together with any baked goods, etc., containing yeast. And then all of a sudden he takes his break and he utters this particular little, it's almost like a parable or a proverb, something like that. Pot calling the kettle black. He says, you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. 
And that is repeated two or three times, and it always comes at a very interesting moment. It's not like it's he's talking about goats and milk or <laughs> diet necessarily, but he just brings he calls that out. And I've I've come to understand that that is essentially that was Moses, a little almost a disclaimer. Would you call it that? Yeah, uh, in a way, a disclaimer in terms of absolute moral authority. Yeah. the Ten Commandments were handed down by God, written in His hand. These are God's, and these other things are just kind of their application. They're appli- these yeah, important yeah. and great, but don't cook. A young goat in its mouth. Yeah, no, don't go overboard. <laughs> don't, don't go overboard. Uh, the idea of the of the proverb is you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. The idea is you take something that is good, the mother's milk for the uh, young goat for the kid, uh, and, and turn it into something an instrument of death or something bad. Don't cook the young kid or the goat in a mother's milk. And it seems to be to me the best explanation I've seen is that this is Moses at a point kind of pausing and saying, but look, don't go overboard about these. Don't don't use these laws to destroy each other. Don't use these laws as, you know, uh, legalistic. Don't be overly legalistic. You still at least it leaves room for common sense and, you know, uh, applying the laws in a commonsensical way. Don't use the laws as an instrument. Uh, for evil right. or to to do a mother's wrong milk is meant a yeah. mother's milk is meant to give life to sustain yeah. to and these laws fulfill. are meant to do that uh-huh, right. don't use them turn around and use them as an right. instrument to destroy of blame each other or right. guilt or shame or and I just think that that's really yeah. actually I think it's, it's I, really I, I, when I first heard that understanding I thought you know that was a wise a wise thing to do and I if you're a fan of Law and Order and some of the legal programs <laughs> on television you you see all the time they're kind of having to make judgments about what what is really right and do we legalistically just say this or do we do we recognize that there's a little bit of this wasn't totally absolutely clear and the motivations involved and so mm-hmm. on so i think moses is is also giving them a little bit that the admonition don't right. don't cook a young goat in his mother's milk well, don't go too far yeah. don't go overboard and ultimately that's what god's heart is for us with the law i think even and uh, and when you ended the last segment with forgiveness as introduced hand yeah. in hand with the giving of the law yeah. um kind Motivation of motivation enters into mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Yep. you know i, I heard something stacy i had a I have still a very good friend. I consider a, a great personal friend and a friend of our ministry that uh, was a lawyer and, and is a lawyer mm-hmm. and for many, many years. And I remember him saying one time to me that, and I hope I don't get it wrong, <laughs> but he said, you know, what is the purpose, uh, what is the goal of, of a trial? And the idea, if I remember correctly, we think the goal and the purpose of a trial is justice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he said, no. <laughs> uh, Truth. The, huh? Truth. No. Truth, yes, okay. I assume. But when you go into a trial with the judge and the, the attorney for the defendant and the attorney for the prosecution... And this, the goal of a trial is the perfect trial. 
Okay. In other words, perfect procedure. Everything right. is done right in the right time. And every and, and truth is given. Testimony is given. And then the idea is that, and the reason for the the goal being a perfect trial is that that it is most likely in that that, that justice, then justice will, will be accomplished. Right, right. But but justice itself is not the goal, goal itself. It's, it's the, the perfect follow end. the rules, do things right, and so right. which kind of, I don't know how that relates to this. Right to this particular topic, but maybe that's the idea too that. He's introducing with that. What God's interested in here is procedure, is is yeah. sort of a, 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 a assigning roles, assigning tasks, assigning yeah. uh, meaning, and and different. And out of that will come truth and, and justice. Because if he had said, uh, well, I don't know. I guess well, see, motivation and circumstances matter mm-hmm. and if you just go strictly legalistic by the mm-hmm. word and the, you might you might actually but then the whole point here is that motivation matters circumstances matter and and i get it that maybe moses was saying here you know just don't don't well, go yeah. overboard to the point that you Right. And it, this well, turns out to be an instrument of harm instead right. of good. And so i guess it's probably an acknowledgement too that really all we can do is the procedure all we are able to do because we in ourselves are not able even to fulfill or capable of being just we are and we we are so this is kind of god's way of giving us what we are at least capable of doing and he does he's the end result he's 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 glory. He's justice. He's yes. ultimately the fulfillment of the law. But he gives us at least a role in which we are right. able to play. Which yes. Well, the- that brings us very in a handy, very handy and logical way. Uh, and by the way, let me give our phone number out. John has been pointing that to me. 210 is our area code. 210-340-9585. Maybe you have a little line or a little thought or a big thought even that you would like to contribute and talk about this idea of the Ten Commandments, why they were given in, as part of this process of nation building with the people of Israel. The, the the Ten Commandments and the laws of God are given to them. And yet we have this, you know, don't. Don't cook a, a young goat in its mother's milk. And then it also brings us, Stacy. that very point brings us now to, uh, after going through those laws and discussing the do's and don'ts, you know, mm-hmm. of the, now we come to all of a sudden, it becomes central to our text in the book of Exodus, the building of this yes. tiny little construct. Yeah. Uh, now, if we're talking, if we're talking about two million people, uh, let's just say, or maybe more, as some have said, at the base of Mount Sinai, they're receiving these laws of God and that will mark them as a people, that will guide them in their relationships with each other and so on. And they're beginning to organize themselves as a people. We'll, we'll see here now in just a moment uh, that the Levites, the tribe of the Levites is identified. Now, the Levites, if you remember, they're the children of one of the sons of Jacob named Levi. And this is the tribe that, that Moses comes from. And his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam, they are all from the Levites. Well, he's giving these laws and these instructions, and then he, and he goes, uh, you know, he's been up on, mount, uh, on the mountain, 
And he comes down, and oh, no, he starts to give. Now he starts. Oh, well, he, you know, he comes down. <laughs> I'm getting uh, mixed up here. He comes down, and they have um, they have built a. Let me see what I'm. Let me go. Hand? Let me see where I'm going to make sure I'm getting this in the right order. Okay, he's he's giving them law, these laws and commands, and then they start building central to this idea of God and holiness and so on. Mm-hmm. Central is going to be. This tabernacle, at the same time, they're learning how to worship mm-hmm. God and how to worship God and how to uh, content- maintain the relationship, mm-hmm. a day-to-day practical relationship with their God. And we're going to see something in the tabernacle. Uh, it's, it's, it's a simple little construct. It's a tiny little edifice, really. It's a tiny little uh, uh a fence, really. It's a it's eight eight feet tall white fence. Uh, it's a fourth of the size of a football field. So uh, that would uh, us Americans we would we would rec- you know we know that a football <laughs> field is a hundred yards long and fifty yards across. Well, a fourth of that, fifty yards long and in twenty five yards across, that was the fence that went around the tabernacle, and at one end of it, uh, the one of the smaller ends was an opening gate. And uh, inside the gate was the, there was um, the uh, no that was where the 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 the, uh, the burnt offerings the, the there was a bronze laver with water in it for the priests to wash their hands and, and and cool themselves there and the burnt offerings the altar that with the fire that never went out and that was the fire that caused the smoke by day that went up from the uh, from the tabernacle and the a pillar of fire by night because that fire was to never go out and so you have the uh you have those two pieces outside in the courtyard but uh uh outside the tent the tabernacle tent but in the courtyard still of the white fence and then there was this 30 by 30 uh uh tent and it was called the the it was divided into two sections the section you walked into on one end was the uh, was the holy place, and it had within it uh, an altar of incense, you know, representing the prayers of God's people going up. It had the table of showbread, which we, we uh, provided uh, food and sustenance for the, the the priests that were on duty. Uh, and, and then there was a gold lampstand that provided light for the room that they were in. And then there was a curtain, a thick curtain, set between what is called the holy place, and behind it was called the most holy, the holy of holies. So uh, that that was, and in it was the the ark of the covenant. But the fundamental purpose of that tabernacle was it's a worship center, a portable worship center that they could. Um, that they could travel with it would go in this it would sit in the center of the people as they traveled and it would be there for them to continually offer uh, their offerings sin offerings and those are going to be explained later in other words the whole concept of the tabernacle was built upon the idea of faith in the substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. the offerings that they brought the mm-hmm. animals that were slaughtered as a symbol as a s- symbolically representing that god would forgive their sins as their their sins were placed upon the animal so it was a picture of god's redemptive plan so that was one thing we noticed and the tabernacle but also 
then we have a real life experience of this when uh, Moses uh, comes down from the mountain and he presents the the ten, he's presented the Ten Commandments and the people. Uh, I make I'm not sure I'm getting the right sequence here. Uh, he goes onto the mountain. Yeah, they, well, they had. He comes down, and they had made the golden calf. And they made the golden and calf. And God is not happy. And right. Moses goes before God on the people's behalf and says, "Yeah." Don't, and God don't. is going to destroy them. He's I mean, God. they expect that you know, in Egypt, the gods there's no forgiveness. And they Moses, expect to be they're going to be destroyed. Right. And yes, some judgment takes place. But then Moses goes back up and he comes down with a second set mm-hmm. of of the commandments. And, he, which is, was, and I, he, he says, do not destroy them. He And at that point, he says, blot me out instead, which I just think is a sweet. Yeah. Um, it shows yeah, a Jesus-like figure. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll explore that, how that's a picture of the redemptive yeah. plan of God. When we come back for our final segment here, we're making our way through the book of Exodus here on The Bible Live. Jingle bells, jingle bells, what a happy day. I asked Jesus in my heart, and now he's here to stay. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, sing it loud and clear. Jesus lives within my heart each day all through the year. I remember it so well. The day my life was changed. I'd walked in darkness all oh, so long, my soul with sin was stained. Then I heard the Spirit's call, and I fell before the cross. Jesus shined his light, took away my sin, now I'm no longer lost. Oh, jingle bells, jingle You're listening bells, to The Bible Live with Soapy day. Dollar. I asked Jesus in my heart, and now he's here to stay. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, sing it loud. These are some of our baptized Jesus Christmas songs, I guess. We've, we've uh, converted some of the words of other popular Christmas songs and put Christian lyrics to them. Maybe you'd like to know those. We'll put them up on our website, thebiblelive.com. Yeah, we'll put them up on our website so that you can. Um, Did you write have that? them there? Did you do that? No, I didn't write them, but I've I found them somewhere. I discovered them many many years oh, ago. I guess it's twenty five. I love it. And so we put. A, I I wrote a couple of them, but the uh, the others I discovered and and put the music to them. So anyway, they're good for you. We had a long prayer meeting today with many of our volunteers of our ministry out at Lackland, and uh, we. We enjoyed singing some Christmas songs, and you might enjoy as well having some of these, um, what we call, I don't know, sanctified <laughs> Christmas songs. We've I like the baptized, baptized, baptized Christmas, Christmas carols, okay? <laughs> so um, you can find those at thebiblelive.com. And by the way, I might as well mention again, just in case uh, someone has just joined us, this is The Bible Live, and you we are making our way through the entire Bible. This is our 21st year to be going through the, our 20th year to be going through the entire Bible. And uh, now we have the Bible readings on our website, thebiblelive.com. And you can uh, go there and find them and listen to the Bible with, listen your way through the entire Bible week by week with us. And then here on the weekends, we take time to kind of evaluate and comment on the passages that we read this past week. And this past week, we've read chapters 26 through 40 
of the book of Exodus and on into the book of Leviticus, just one chapter. Uh, and we're just now getting, we're getting clarified. I, I'm sorry, my uh, guidance here hasn't been good. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai. Uh, he went up to be with God, and God has been giving Moses the Ten Commandments and then as well these other commandments, these uh the, in other words, the practical outworking of these 631 commandments that God gives to them, to Moses up on uh, Mount Sinai. And so Moses is up there. He's also getting instructions for the building. He comes to the building of the tabernacle. God gives him the instructions for the tabernacle. He gives him instructions for the priests, the clothing of the priests, uh, that they would, the chest piece, the design of the ephod, the, the vest that they would carry, and the dedication process. They're going into in great detail. Moses gets this instructions from God up on the mountain. And then in chat, and even, even to the detail of a building of the tabernacle and who is to supervise the construction of this uh, portable, this uh, portable worship center, really, that's going to go with them as they travel to the promised land. And so God is giving him the, the design for the, the holy place, the most holy place, the, uh, the altar of incense, the laver for, with water and so on for cleansing and washing of the priest's hands. All of this detail God is giving to them and how they're going to raise the money for the tabernacle. Remember when they left Egypt, uh, the people were instructed to ask their Egyptian host, the people they were living near and to give an offering to if they could have clothing and jewel. And the, many of the people of Egypt gave freely clothing and jewelry uh, and, and so on, furnishings that they came out of Egypt with those. And so now they're going to give of uh, of what they received. They're going to be able to give an offering and to help build this worship center that is going to go and guide them along through uh, their journey to the promised land. Well, now Moses comes down from the mountain, uh, and he's been up there a good long time, 40 days, I guess it is, uh, a lot, and the people have uh, grown impatient. You know, that seems to be a real problem with human beings. We don't want to wait upon the it's Lord. True. We yeah. we yeah. Uh, Several times in the Bible we see that's yeah. one of the great yeah. problems that human beings have is they don't want to and wait and for God's today, timing. I, yeah. I have. I struggle with that. Oh, me. I never struggle with that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, lately, well, you know what? We're um, just, I guess, uh, uh, in the season right now, we are in an Advent season of yeah. waiting. And what and do we do? And we're in the season of the COVID. We're having to wait on right? God to solve sure. that. Well, this is yeah. Advent. We're all the time called upon to wait, aren't we? Well, to yes. wait on God and, and His timing. Well, and then even when you think of Christmas Day, and even as children, from a child's perspective, you have to wait before you can open oh, your presents. Seems and like wait. an eternity. Yeah. yeah, but what do we always we tend to do in that time is create an alternative, mm. create something to either make the waiting easier. We don't really give in. We don't. We don't 
sit back and just surrender to the waiting. We always want to somehow make it easier or create some sort of substitute in the meantime. And that's exactly what. Oh, we wait for all kinds of things, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Celebrations, weddings, feasts, uh, meals. Christ uh, himself to come again. Yeah, 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 (laughs) we have to wait. Uh, I, I, in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 41, there's a, there's a famous verse about they that wait upon the Lord, yeah. renewing their strength. Yeah. This admonition to wait patiently yeah. on the Lord. Uh, through the years, I finally realized that the trick, if you could call it a trick, the key to learning to wait is not on the word wait. Mm-hmm. Because what alternative do we have to waiting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we have to we wait. Have to That's wait. part of the human experience. There's no way we can. So we just still have to wait. But the key there is wait on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Make consciously, intentionally make the Lord the object of your waiting, not the letter from Uncle John or mm-hmm. or, or this check to come through or, mm-hmm. you know, not wait on. No, don't make the event or the person the object of your waiting. It says wait on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he shall renew your strength. And so a key to me has been in that long lesson learning, learning over the, over the decades now, uh, is to make the Lord the object of my waiting, not Mm-hmm. Not and, the thing itself. And you itself. do that by way of meditating on him day and mm-hmm. night through reading his scripture. And relating in that event, mm-hmm. that check or that job or that whatever, relating that to him and giving it over to you. So now I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm not waiting on the check from Uncle Jerry or, or mm-hmm. I'm not waiting on the job application or the answer from this or that, the U.S. Post Office or something. I'm waiting on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if we make the Lord the object of our waiting, we will rise up with wings and become strange. Well, anyway, they don't do it. <laughs> I, I, I guess I could have told them this, you know, yeah. uh, back there. But Moses is up on that mountain 40 days. And so he, um, he brings down these laws, the Ten Commandments written on the, inscribed on the covenant, on those tablets, written by the finger of God itself. And then they come back down and they discover that the people have lost patience and they have built a golden idol. Now you would think after all that they had seen, the plagues and the things that, and and particularly Aaron, Aaron is down there, uh, Moses' brother. But uh, now obviously uh, uh, Jewish friends say that, well, it wasn't the Jewish people themselves. It was, it was the, 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 uh, the motley crew, you know, it was the mixed, uh, the mixed, the people that came with them that were not, you know, really of Israel uh, that did it, you know, eh, whether that's true or not, uh, Aaron obviously went along here a bit and uh, this was a terrible thing. It was still a great sin uh, that took place. Um, And it looks like that God is ready to judge them and start all over again. Look, I've waited a long time. I've gotten Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the 12 tribes, and the people in 400 years, and now the 2 million people. But I'm I'm ready to, I could destroy them all and start all over again with you, Moses. But lo and behold, it's Moses that says, but now if you will only forgive their sin. But if not, erase my name too from the record you have written. And that that is touching that Moses would have that 
that prayer of intercession for the, for the people. Uh, he says, uh, but Moses says, don't do that, Lord. Forgive them. I go up on the mountain, and I, I maybe I can obtain forgiveness for your sin. And the Lord says, no, I will renace the, erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Uh, go and lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And, and, and so long story short there, this is chapter 32. God forgives them. Moses goes back up on the mountain. Uh, There is a punishment involved. There is a discipline that takes place among them as a people. Uh, And this is where the Levites come into prominence in chapter 33. The the Moses tribe and the tribe of Er, they are the ones who become the instruments God uses and guides to be the instrument of discipline and and punishment on those who did this evil thing. And uh, they then receive a blessing that, you know, I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you a place of prominence and responsibility in the nation of Israel. And they become the, the priestly tribe of Israel, the tribe of the of Levi, the Levites. And so um, Moses sees the Lord's glory, uh, and and then he's called back on the mountain again. And this time he's told to chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me at the top of the mountain. So Moses goes back up on the mountain, and uh, he receives a second set of the tablets and brings them down to the people. And the the people then uh, respond. And that's where you see in chapter 34, again, verse 26, you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. You see that, <laughs> that, instru- that, that instruction to them. Uh, but the whole concept here is the God of forgiveness, who God, a God who, it's not just willy-nilly forgiveness. He just didn't willy-nilly decide. The, 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 the forgiveness is, in, in other words, God doesn't sacrifice his holiness and his justice in order to give expression to his love. He's not arbitrary. The, it's not arbitrary. Right. Just, oh, I'll forgive you, but not you. It's all built on the idea of, of God's holiness and his, uh, his, Love and holiness being expressed. That is the miracle of substitutionary atonement. It is both an expression of God's love and forgiveness and as well of his righteousness, his justice, and uh, his righteousness so that you have that expressed. And, of course, ultimately that's what is expressed through the the cross of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The, the ultimately, that is what all of these sacrifices and all of these uh, these pictures of, of of sacrifice and atonement. That's what they're all about. And in uh, many ways, mm-hmm. um, the law. It's not as if he gives these ten commandments expecting that they're never going to break them. Right. And so when he when they immediately have already broken the first two before that he can even get the ten tablets down. Uh, it's not a surprise by any means, but what it does is it immediately serves as a mirror, even to just Moses alone, to recognize there's no way we're going to be able to 
live up to this. We can't even keep the first two before you've even given them. Yeah. And, the he, and he already gave him right. the instructions for the tabernacle with its altar, right. the burning right. altar for right. sacrifices. He right. had already given them that right. as a picture of this is going to be an instrument of right. a place where you can come for forgiveness right. and yeah. to atone for the sins. So it's very interesting here that that was part of God's plan from the beginning, as we even saw with Adam and Eve in the garden. His mm-hmm. plan from the beginning was that there's going to be an atoning mm-hmm. work. That's why the animal was slain, and they were clothed in the skins of the animals. And so we see that carried through again here, pictured again in at this time when God is giving the laws to Israel through his servant Moses. Uh, we see this substitutionary atonement, uh, the forgiveness that God is giving uh, to them, offering to them by faith, they would express their faith through these altar, these animals that were sacrificed and given, but they weren't forgiven and they weren't cleansed by the blood of goats and bulls and so on. They ultimately the only level ground in the universe is at the foot of the cross, mm-hmm. where God's Son, the Lamb of God, who take away the sin of the world. That's the definitive sacrifice by which God uses to purchase our redemption and our salvation. But this was a picture. Right. The tabernacle, the animals, the sacrifices, the priesthood, all of these are pictures of some aspect of that process of of, of redemption that God and is going to... And it was through that relationship that God was then able to reveal himself, not in full, not in full like he, mm-hmm. he is able to, but, but able to relate with Moses, able to relate with his people and able to reveal his glory. Mm-hmm. And that does bring us into kind of the final... Um, chapter in the final chapters and verses of um, and it's just so it's so beautiful the 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 point in the the whole the is is his manifest glory his glory shikana here his presence with us and um and then in part and then for us to reflect that i think one of the most um beautiful just images is of moses just wanting to see god's face yes wanting to see i was going to say that is a beautiful segue to what happened there moses intercedes for the people Mm -hmm. god reveals his mercy his grace uh, that I'm going to forgive the people, restore, and through, through the, and then we see Moses saying, uh, "You've been telling me take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me uh, who will go with me. You have told me I know you by name. I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, th- this nation is your very own people." And this is Moses talking to God. I just love that. By the end, God's got Moses telling God, <laughs> um, we are your people. Remember Isaac. Remember Abraham. And it's Moses recounting his own story and testimony to God. And um, I, I think that's a really Isn't sweet. It? It, I mean, as, as a probably as a father looking down at us, you know, if yeah. that's the kind of relationship. Look what Moses says. Mm-hmm. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. And Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me, and on your people if you don't go with us? So if you don't go with us, Lord, 
I don't want to go. I'm not leaving. And, and then the Lord says, I will do what you have asked. I will go favorably and I will go with you. I will know you. And then Moses says, then show me your glorious presence. Mm-hmm. I want to see you in your glory. And, and God says, uh, uh, you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. Mm-hmm. But stand near me on this rock, and this is where they get that hymn, the cleft in the cleft of the rock. Yeah. Uh, stand near me on this rock, as my glorious presence goes by. I will hide you in the in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And some have said that this is actually God saying, "You you can't look upon me." If we're trying to figure out what God is doing, God doesn't appear directly and show us. But the idea they say here is that we can get to know God and see God from what he has done as he has it passed. It reminds me and of that C.S. Lewis. We see the effects. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of that C.S. Lewis. I, do, I don't know that the sun exists um, by looking directly at it, I know the sun exists because by it I see everything else. Yes. Something like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. it a Very good. Bit. But um, and that's it, in the book, The Prince and the Chair, or something like that. The Silver Chair. No, I don't think it's the Silver Chair. The it's, Silver uh, Chair. I think this was a uh, one of his essays. Or, okay. Uh-huh. But when he. But that is the principle brought out in the the Silver Chair because remember they're taken down into mm-hmm. a dark land and yeah. there's no. He says, "What? What? Is, what do you mean the?" sun there's no sun right, yeah. right. Yeah, they yeah. Don't, but seen. okay go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt you. oh no it just that reminds me of perhaps what you know what you're saying they say about this and and moses and um so not seeing god directly but seeing just the fullness of yeah. what he you know imagine it's probably a glimpse of heaven quite frankly it's it's a world in which his glory and his righteousness mm. and we reigns. too can see the glory of god as we see the effects of what God right. has done, the right. changed lives, right. the, the 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 miracles of, of 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 maybe an entire city or an entire community or a family being restored and transformed uh, as an after effect of God's presence mm-hmm. and working in their mm-hmm. lives and through them, mm-hmm. but uh, that's that's what Moses asked for. I want to see you, and he says, "Well, you can't see me directly, but uh, I'll let I'll pass before you, and you can see uh, you can see me from behind." But my face will not be seen. And isn't that beautiful? I mean, that Moses, I mean, this is what Moses wants most is to see God's presence, to see his glorious presence. And this is a man who has seen the burning bush. Maybe he's remembering the the burning bush. Right, or has seen, I mean, the things that he has seen up until this. And, uh, and he wants, he wants more. <laughs> and I just think that that's, yeah, um, yeah. that's, I, I like Moses. I can yeah. <laughs> you know, I know a man and I've interviewed him on the radio over the many years. Um, some may even remember this interview of our listeners, even uh, who has done explorations searching for Mount Sinai mm-hmm. the, and, and search. And they found uh, a mountain that they think is Horeb or Mount Sinai. And there is a burnt glazed uh, surface on, on, at the top of it mm-hmm. where it's burnt wow. black and glazed. Really? And, and they think that, I you think know, maybe so that was where God's presence was, was God met with uh, Moses there at the top of Mount Sinai. But then uh, Moses is there. 
Uh, he receives these instructions. The people receive God's forgiveness. Uh, they receive the instructions for the ark of the for the for the tabernacle. Uh, and and actually, he he is told the first person who is said to be filled with the Spirit is mentioned to us in the book of Exodus. He's the he's not a, a, a he's not a priest. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's the guy who's going to help build the tabernacle. An he's an artisan. He's a bricklayer. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Uh-huh. So there we are. We come to the end of the book of Exodus with the building of the tabernacle and the preparation. The offering is given. And now we'll go into the book of Leviticus with its theme of how to worship God. See you next Sunday night, folks. Thank you, Stacy, John. See you next Sunday here on The Bible Life. To helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 